Welcome everyone to a very special episode of Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I am Chris Dredd. I'm here with my main man JB and today we have got a very, very special guest with us, man. We have got a New York Times bestselling author, television producer, all-round wrestling knowledge god, uh, Mr. Keith Elliott Greenberg. How are you doing, man? Good. Too bad I didn't meet you guys in person when I was in the UK last week. Yeah, sucks, man. We oh, saw man. you, um, you know, your suitcase full of books was pretty empty by the end. It was actually empty towards a bunch of books. I filled the suitcase uh, because there was a fear from the publisher that we wouldn't be able to uh, ship them all on time. And I was in three different locations. And by the middle of the second uh, event, uh, we started running out them for the final event but uh you know I, I was shocked by the demand actually um you know we we in the uk and ireland you know we're just mad wrestling fans we're like um a bit rabid you know because we we we're quite a way away from America. So when stuff like yourself comes over, if Mick Foley comes over to do the speaking tours or, you know, things like that, we kind of just go crazy for it, man. Cause it's nice to have, you know, genuine, you know, your legitimate, um, you know, author, legitimate wrestling, know it all kind of thing, you know? So it's great to have someone like you come over and then uh, do those I, things. I, I do think, um, you know, and I'm not trying to, hurt the feelings of my fellow Americans, but I do think that the UK is more of a literate society. I mean, the fact that people still buy newspapers and they, they also will buy re weekend newspapers to just luxuriate over on Saturday and Sunday makes them a bit different than Americans. And so, um, you know, I'm there selling a book and in America, people will just look in your face and go, I don't read. Uh, you know, you don't really hear much of that, at least uh, among the people I met, no one was saying, hey, I don't read. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, although, although, although I'd say in both countries, uh, when you see some of the decisions made at the highest forms of government, it seems like a lot of people don't read. Dude, let's let's. I was, you know what? We, we're gonna ask the, the question about that. You know, it's it's crazy when you're talking about people not reading. It just reminds me of the Bill Hicks bit. You know, when he's like, "Oh, why do we got a reader? What are you reading for?" You know, it's like it just reminds me of that man, that great bit from the great Bill Hicks. But um, yeah, man. I mean, so you you've been over in the UK. You went to you're in Manchester. You're in uh, London Le and the Ireland. Uh, oh, London, and I. I, uh, Ireland was just, uh, it was supposed to be a social trip, but I ended up doing Maurice Shorthall's uh, podcast while I was over in Dublin. Nice, man. So when you were in England, did you have a Nando's or? Uh... Yes, of course I did. <laughs> I, I had a Nando's as soon as I got over there. Uh, you know, I landed in the morning and I was uh, walked over to a Greg's <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, you know, when 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 in when in the UK, do is well, this was in Scotland. I did get a Scottish pie at Greg's, which didn't thrill me. I've had I was uh, over there a year ago, and I had a Scottish pie in a pub, and that was a lot more satisfying. But teachers own. 
Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, we saw some great pictures of you in a pub in Ireland as well, enjoying <laughs> yourself, which is just fantastic. Um, I mean, uh, did you have an iron brew whilst in Scotland? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, uh, my Instagram account was disabled in the midst of everything. I received an Instagram message from someone who I knew. It was a, a, a reader and a wrestling fan. And he's like, oh, I'm trying to start a podcast. Can you press like and press this link? And I did. And before I knew it, people were contacting me and saying that uh, they was asking me, are you selling Bitcom on, on, uh, on, on Instagram? So my account is disabled now and I'm trying to get it back. Pissed. That's not uh, that's not good when you're trying to promote a book, man. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like one third of the uh, social media arsenal has been disabled. It's like if you were, you know, Vladimir Putin's army and someone burned, a, you know, burned a bridge that was a supply route. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen. <laughs> it's uh... so, Keith. We we're here to talk about the book mainly. Um, Follow the buzzards. That would be good. Yeah, that would be that would be that would be an the best way to get going. Follow the buzzards. Uh, Chris, I believe you 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 messaged me this morning saying you ordered it on uh, on Kindle as well. Yeah, I've got a Kindle copy because yeah. uh, the hard copies are not available. Um, in no, the they're UK. not available until November. But yeah. I'm glad you got a Kindle copy. Yeah, when I was in in London at a, an Inside the Ropes event. Rob Van Dam ordered a copy of my book on Kindle, so uh, I don't. I imagine he hasn't read it yet. He appeared to be quite busy, but uh, maybe he's reading it on the plane ride home right now. Let's hope so, man. I mean, do, um, in comparison, do you kind of make a bit more money on the Kindle versions, or is it pretty much the same? Um, I'm not sure. I know that I make more on the audio. I, I make quite a bit on the audiobook versions, but of, of my books, uh, and I'm about to record my audiobook version starting this weekend coming up. Okay, cool. I'm not going to do it all. I'm not going to be able to record the entire book in one weekend, but I'm about to start. So, anyone listening in the UK, you can get the book. Um, on uh, Amazon Kindle at the moment, it's about eight quid. Um, well worth it. Definitely get it in there. And also, fuck it, man, buy the hard copy as well when it comes out. And, and the, the book is going to be in sale. I walked into a WH Smith's when I was in London, and I asked them about when the book was coming in, and they said early November. So you know, if you want to wait till then, you know, support it. If if there's a local bookshop in your community. I'm all for supporting your local bookshop, just yeah. like all for supporting your local indie wrestling promotion. Defo. Uh, yes, that we do indeed. Um, we have uh, some local run indie pro promotions that run in the UK, and we <clears throat> we like to we like to get as much as we can, don't we? Yeah, definitely. We've got one coming up twenty uh, second of this month as well. Indeed, I think around yeah. the corner, down the road. Yeah, literally a, a walking distance. Like it's so, it's so much, so much cooler for us. To well, do I mean, stuff like that. Uh, the indie promotions that visit our local town. I mean, you've got people like Will Ospreay, Aussie Open. You mm. know, like we we we've got um pretty pretty decent wrestlers coming. It'd to be the town. pretty great if I could walk down the street and see <laughs> Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. I mean, I can walk to the Barclays Center, but it, that, that's a different type of experience. <laughs> sure, isn't. Uh, is there someone running the Barclays Center tonight? Am I am I crazy? Uh, yeah. WWE. Yes, yeah. they're at the Barclays Center tonight. 
are you not you don't fancy it tonight then um i'm not sure i just returned from the uk and i have a full-time job i'm a senior producer at a at a television network in the united states so i'm a little bit busy there today yeah i mean um your your um your background is extensive you know you've been working you know pretty a uh, high level since the 80s man sorry to um you know maybe you know growing old <laughs> i mean i've just had my 40th birthday and i'm feeling it man so um yeah i was feeling it in my 40th in fact i wasn't very, <laughs> my 50th was a hard birthday for me that yeah. was i was really in a bad mood for months when I turned 50. 60, I was a little, uh, I, I, I was in a better frame of mind, pretty much because I destroyed lots of things during my 50th birthday and by uh, my 60th, I started repairing them. <laughs> man, we'd love to get down the pub with you, I think. I think you'd be a fucking great crack, man. I um... uh, crack, crack, and, and not crack, like uh, like the American term, cracking uh, the uh, in 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 in, uh, in the Gaelic in the Gaelic way. Yeah. yeah, I mean we still we still say in England as well. We love to crack. You know what I mean? We go out for a, a decent night yeah, out. Story. My good friend Bob Higgins tells the story. He's American born, and he went to see his cousins in Ireland when he was younger, and uh, you know he didn't know them, and they're like, well, let's go downtown and have some crack and he's just like standing there he's like wow they talk their way right in front of their parents yeah. like that. <laughs> the, the, these people they they just don't care it's that laissez-faire attitude of the uk man yeah. and ireland you know yeah but um you know you you've done so much from um, tv producing you produce documentaries you've written about true crime um you've written about wrestling extensively um also wanted to talk to you about your time you worked with WWE we had um Brian R Solomon on recently he's a good friend he, yeah you know and he's a, a really knowledgeable guy fantastic interview we had with him and um you know we love having guys like you and Brian on because you know, we usually have wrestlers on who are, you know, talking about stuff they've done in their career. We talk about specific matches, angles, and, you know, what they're doing now and and whatever. But kind of the way that, um, you know, legitimate writers will look at things. Um, like what you've done with um, the buzzards um, recently, you know, you're kind of... You know, you, the narrative that you've you've got going there is kind of the parallels between real life and wrestling, you know, and at that time of COVID, you know, is it a work, fake news and all this kind of stuff is fantastically written, um, really good stuff. And I do urge everybody to bloody go out there and buy it. So, I mean, what, uh, yeah. what was it that kind of made you want to do that subject? Was it something that was thrown at you or was it something that you well, kind of wanted I, to get I, into? And my last book was called um, Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. Yeah. And ended uh, with the first broadcast of Dy AEW Dynamite. And so I said, you know, obviously we need a, uh, a sequel because, you know, people need to know how this all turns out. And um, I just thought the sequel would be about maybe the first year of AEW, the war between WWE and AEW. You know, there were a lot of question marks. Would AEW even survive that year? Would WWE just blow them away? Would they start to make serious inroads 
into the WWE audience and what would happen to the indies that had supplied all this talent? Like, would WWE and AW swoop in and grab the best indie personalities? And would it destroy the indies? Like, there were a lot of question marks. And um, by the time I finished the epilogue, uh, the, the World Health Organization had declared an international pandemic. And at that point, I said to the executive editor at ECW Press, Michael Holmes, I think it's time for, uh, I think we need to switch gears somewhat. This is still a sequel to the first book, but this book needs to be about pro wrestling in the age of COVID-19. And what I wanted to do, and I was planning to do this anyway, I wanted to juxtapose, uh, you know, my, th this book, with, uh, with real world events. And COVID-19 made that creative device even more urgent um, or, or more necessary because 2020, and I knew this was happening regardless of COVID, you had the US presidential election and you had Brexit going on. Mm. Those alone are, the, are very important events, uh, you know, society altering events. And I thought, you know, Wrestling doesn't live in a bubble. We can go back and forth between each of them. And then when COVID happened, uh, you really weren't able to fully escape what was going on. I mean, you watch WrestleMania in an empty performance center. You're aware that we're living in the COVID era. Um, wrestling uh, aspired to give people release and escape. I believe it did successfully provide a sanctuary. There was a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, WWE was uh, putting on shows in an empty arena. Eventually, they came up with the Thunderdome, but it took a while. You know, AEW eventually uh, put their wrestlers uh, in the rows around the ring to create the feel of an old-time studio wrestling audience. We had this cinematic match. There had been cinematic matches before, but uh, now the cinematic match was essential. And those two matches from WrestleMania 36, I think we'll look back at very fondly in, in the decades to come. AEW did the stadium stampede and then the Indies didn't completely go away. Yeah. Um, uh, Game Changer Wrestling, uh, you know, or GCW became the number three promotion, in my opinion, in the United States. And Ring of Honor ended up being sold to AEW and the NWA had to start from scratch essentially. And New Japan, which isn't an indie by any means, but New Japan, uh, you know, didn't put on any shows for months. And then when they did put on shows, fans were socially distanced. There was a fraction of the people there and they weren't allowed to cheer because of the fear that uh, the bacteria would get into the air and infect people. So uh, it, was, it, it was a very different time. We are still feeling the aftershock somewhat, but if you're vaccinated, I don't believe that you are as frightened as you were at the beginning. How, how, was, uh, how was the age of COVID for you, yourself? Uh, you know, like everybody else, it was strange. It was frustrating. Um, I can't call it exciting. Uh, you know, in retrospect, 
I'm glad I was writing a book during that period because it gave me something to focus on day to day. And unlike with other books I've done where I was looking at things in hindsight, I was organizing and writing this book as things were transpiring. And sometimes I'd look back at a chapter a few weeks later and, and things had changed by that point. I also kept files and I'm like, oh, this is crucial information. For instance, and I mentioned this in the book, like early on, I was keeping a file of famous people who had COVID. First, it was like, you know, a page long. And in, you know, I was keeping track of American politicians who had COVID. And then, you know, a massive chunk of the Trump administration came down with COVID, in, including like Donald, two of Donald Trump's children. And then Trump himself had COVID. Boris Johnson had COVID. And, you know, we later found out nearly died from it. I mean, you know, the, the, the royal family, much of the royal family had COVID and so did royals in other parts of Europe. So, you know, it was a, a I'm not going to say a struggle because being on a ventilator in, in, a, in a, 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 you know, in a intensive care unit is a struggle, but it was a challenge to keep up with everything that was transpiring and information that I thought was so critical was now passe a few weeks later. Yeah, it's, um, it was a weird time. I mean, we, we started the podcast at the beginning of COVID because you know, I run my own business. I've got a shop that was shut down. Um, you know, I think Jordan, you were furloughed in that for a bit. You no, know. no, no. I went back to work. Oh, I was working right. the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's right. They um, didn't want. They didn't want me to stop. Yeah, um, you know, so it was weird because we, you know, I had a bit more time. Um, you know, we got together and started the podcast. You know, we had a bit more time to watch wrestling, so it gave us something to focus on and do. And yeah. it's just kind of grown out of that. So I mean, I, I hate to say we're thankful for COVID because obviously, you know, no, maybe, no, you know, but course, I mean, I could say, oh, I'm thankful for it because I got a book out of it, but that wouldn't be very nice. Absolutely, that, yeah. No, oh, I'm thankful for the genocide in bosnia because i i got a you know i didn't write a book on it but if i had sure. oh because some great reporting and i won an award of course we're not that ghoulish no um, you know it's interesting to look back on you know it wasn't just a period of health challenges it was a very divisive period and still remains so i mean somebody recently said to me you know was telling me these like crackpot theories about all the, the health problems you could have if you take the vaccine. And I do think a lot of that division is along political lines. And that, a lot of that's in the book. And besides um, all the COVID polarization, we had the Black Lives Matter movement uh, re really, uh, it, it, started, it, it started years earlier, but it solidified and went around the world. And in pro wrestling, we had the speaking out movement. And these are conversations that we're going to be having for decades at least. And so these are all important topics to discuss. And they all, uh, you know, really came to the forefront during COVID. And you mentioned the podcast. I became a monthly columnist for Inside the Ropes magazine in the UK during COVID. And this is a newsstand wrestling magazine created during a time when people weren't even coming out of their homes or were just starting to. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, you you mentioned, I think it's the first chapter or even the second chapter you talk about the speaking out movement. And we've, um, there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I we personally think that that was something that needed to happen. And I think that um, with COVID and the wrestlers not being actively working, a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, people had time to ruminate upon things that had happened and, you know, online presence was a big thing and it gave people that kind of environment that enabled them to come out and say, actually, while we're doing this, this is shit is going on. It needs to stop. And I think, you know, it kind of, it's definitely helped the UK industry. I mean, we're not through the woods uh, by a long shot yet because there's still a few, uh, let's just say, stragglers from the speaking out movement that are still kind of hanging around and sniffing around the business that people are like, hold on a minute, you know, but it's it's definitely helped. And you think it was um, fairly big in America, the, the speaking it out was movement? Big in America. And I remember... You know, and this is in the book, you know, but I, I, I remember when I was at an indie show, uh, uh, you know, an outdoor indie show when Speaking Out first started and listening to some of the guys talking about who might get called out and who might deserve to be called out and who uh, will be called out because they got involved with somebody who the other guys regarded as maybe a little unstable, but there being a lot of speculation and a lot of worry because now everybody in the, every male in the industry was kind of going back over every, you know, uh, lust, lustful exchange they had had. Yeah. Or being a, 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 a personality or a, a celebrity of some sort. And it's like, well, will this person come forward? Will this person say this wasn't consensual? Will this person say uh, it was forced? And women struggle because they're like, well, I've kind of put this in the past. Do I want to come out and speak about this? Are people going to call me names? Because they invariably do. Are mm. people going to accuse me of lying? And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a painful period. And again, the discussion is far from over. Yeah. Well, it's it definitely isn't over. I mean, there's too many, even back here in the UK, like there's still, like Chris said, there's still people hanging around long after, you know, their attempted dalliances or whatever have, you know, been brought to light. And they've, yeah, still, it still needs work. Still really needs work. And I was very careful about um, how I broach this in a book because, you know, 10 years from now, someone will be able to walk into a library or a bookstore and open up this book and point at a name and, e and either say, ah, that person is a, uh, a, a predator or that woman is a, a liar. And she, you know, tries to ruin people's lives. And so I deliberately did not name any of the women involved uh, because, you know, if you're a special victims detective, you go on the assumption that, you know, these people are victims and that they shouldn't be, um, you know, single. They shouldn't be single. No one should be able to to hunt them down and, and 
accused them of toying with the truth. And uh, with the men, I did include the defenses of the few wrestlers who really came forward and defending defended themselves. But I left a lot of other people out because I wasn't quite sure how those accusations would all sort themselves out. So Joey Ryan's defense is in there. David Starr's defense is in there. Um, Matt Riddle's defense is in there. And um, Marty Skrull's defense is in there because they went on social media and really, you know, made an issue in saying, here's what happened. I mean, in some cases, like in Marty Skrull's, he admitted that he showed very poor judgment and he explained where his mind was working at the time, but asked people not to go after his victim. Some people have criticized me for including that because they're saying, well, you know, I see an awful lot of people defending themselves in your book, but I'm taking a snapshot of that time. And that's the material I had to work with. And I stand by my approach unless you show me an alternative. Yeah, it's always going to be a very tough subject to, to, to broach because you, you know, you do have what, whatever way you did it, Keith, you were going to get shit from someone, dude. Yes, was, I was. And I knew know, that. You were going to get someone, you're going to piss somebody off, you know. So, yeah. you know, the fact that you've, you know, whatever you've put in there, whatever you've left out was going to piss someone off. So, you know. But, I knew that. And just like, by merely mentioning U.S. politics, I, I knew that I was going to antagonize people. I mean, you know, first of all, I didn't put words in any politician's mouth. If a politician is quoted in the book and maybe he doesn't sound like he's telling the truth or he sounds a bit clownish, that's what the guy said. I didn't write that copy for him. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, America remains a very politically divided country. And I have read online people saying that, you know, my political bias tanked the entire book. Again, I was trying to be as objective as possible, but I'm not going to leave something out because in too much of the world, it makes a certain politician look like a buffoon. Oh. And you for that conclusion, not me. Yeah. I'm not saying this guy's a buffoon. I'm saying this is what this guy said. Now, no, it's fine. No, that's it. Is it no, I, I get you. Like, you know, everybody has their own biases. Everybody right. does, reg regardless, yeah. you know, and we all do. We of course, of course, you know, I I've I I, I don't get, don't get don't get it twisted. This country is equally as politically divided as any other country as well you know we i'm you know it, it's 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 fucking crazy i mean we we do have you know th this country i think in the uk we do know how, where our bread is buttered to a point because we do have the universal healthcare system we yeah. do have you know the um social safety net Yes. in place you know so people are looked after to a point um you know we, you know it, the the one issue i did have it with america in general over the time of covid was if ever there was a time and i you know i don't want to you know 
I want to hear it. Go ahead. I don't want to piss anybody off, but you know, if ever there was a time in US history to implement a universal healthcare system, it was the time of COVID. If not then, then fucking when, you know? You're not going to get an argument from me over that. And it's interesting that, you know, I just got my third booster and um, that was free. So uh, the money the money for that comes from somewhere. Certainly we have the money in this country and we could find the money in this country if that was a priority for us. And yeah. again, not going to, if I talk too much, people are going to say, I revealed myself to be a socialist militant and therefore the book doesn't have credibility. So yes, of course, it's heartbreaking to, as a human being to see people who can't afford to pay for health coverage and it could endanger their lives. I don't think that makes you a political radical. It means you just care about your fellow human being. Well, I mean, I am a socialist radical. I will have to say I am. I am. Like, if we were speaking in a pub, I would be a lot more forthcoming about absolutely. my own feelings. But we're not speaking in a pub. Sure. We're speaking to the public. And while we're speaking to the public, I do, uh, you know, want to obtain my objectivity as yeah, best. That's fair as enough. Of course. Of course. You know, I mean, but the thing is, you know, I think in the UK, our idea of of socialism and the idea of socialism in America is completely fucking different. Well, well it's a dirty word in America. Yeah. I mean, look, we already have social security. We have Medicaid in America. So there are aspects of socialism that are in place. For that matter, the government pays for the police and the firefighters yeah, and, the, right. and sanitation. So it isn't all privatized. Yeah. But again, this is that this is another conversation for another time. But it all ties into what's in the book. Absolutely. It's all about, <laughs> you know, pro wrestling during the time of COVID-19. And that and we look at real world issues that were affecting people. People were in hospitals on ventilators. And that money has to come from somewhere. And in certain countries, like in India, and this is in the book. People were scrounging money to pay for ventilators to buy for the hospitals there. So these are big issues about life and death that needed to be addressed. And just because it's a wrestling book doesn't mean that material needs to be left out. I also don't think that wrestling fans are incapable of stretching their brains beyond wrestling sometimes, you know. I've been knocking around for a while and writing books the last couple of years. And, you know, wrestle, there are very smart wrestling fans there, us included. Yeah. We love this stuff. And, you know, we, we analyze this stuff and we have opinions about other things. And that's who this book is written for. You know, the, the wrestling fan who doesn't want a straight up wrestleography, this guy beat this guy and this title changed. But what what does it all mean? Why was this good? That that's why it was good because you've you've you you've kind of got both of these narratives going side by side, and you know at times you can look at politics is the biggest fucking analogy for wrestling. You can you can see a, a lot of it is a work, man. You know, and a lot of, of you know, what is legit, what is a shoot? You know, it's, it's and we don't know, we don't right. know. 
wrestling. It's a very delicate dance. It's the dance of the seven veils. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. I, I, I mean, I love what yes. you've done with it. It's, it's a different kind of wrestling book. And to be honest, I feel that it will do a lot of wrestling fans a great service to take their head out of purely the wrestling world and kind of see the real world um, you know, side by side that, that we do have. And I think a lot of wrestling fans do yeah. because I'm getting a lot of feedback from people. And I was just in the UK and I was speaking. Yeah, I spoke to hundreds of wrestling fans while I was there. And, you know, all of those people look at it the same way we do. It's, it's great, man. It's um, yeah. So, I mean, a, a, apart from the politicization and, and, the, and the kind of the way that COVID was dealt with in, in wrestling companies. Did you see um, kind of, I mean, you'd have more inside knowledge than we would over this, but did you see how um, it was dealt with differently in the two companies? I mean, we had a public view of, you know, everyone was kind of, okay, not everybody, a lot of AEW fans or like a diehard group of AEW fans kind of, shat on WWE a little bit because they got rid of a load of people during the pandemic and said, oh, couldn't you have just fucking paid them? Why did you have to get rid of them? And all this kind of stuff. And then WWE was, fans were saying, oh, you know, well, you're just buying a load of, that. you're taking on a load of WWE old guys and all this kind of thing. But do you think that the two companies dealt with COVID in a different way? Or do you think ultimately they kind no, of had to look, deal with it? Look, look Tony Khan started AEW to, to wage war yeah. and to go after WWE. And, you know, Vince McMahon, he, he loves nothing more than someone coming after him so he can fight back. So they went at it and they both were armed. I mean, Tony Khan is, comes from a billionaire family, as we all know. Yeah. And so this wasn't like myself and you and a couple of friends know some guy who owns a, 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 a tire center in town and he gives us 20 grand to start a wrestling promotion. And, you know, uh, two months later, we're out of business. These are guys who can, you know, outlast one another or, you know, they, they can have a long protracted war. Yeah. And I think they went about it in the best way that they, that they, they thought that, you know, that they could conceive and they're still going at it. I mean, they've definitely both got the means, um, you know. The means, uh, right. <laughs> you know, even Tony Khan recently said in the in the infamous uh, media scrum that happened recently, he said, I've got a lot more fucking money and I'm not going to take this shit. You know, so that goes to show you the kind of the attitude yeah. of him. He's like, yeah. fuck it, man. I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that makes it exciting, too. And it's so interesting because I had to end the book at a certain stage, you know, because I, I couldn't write, you know, a 2000 word book. I mean, I could have, but <laughs> I don't know how many people would have read it. So, you know, I ended it in January 2022. I started in January 2020. I made it like two years, you know, yeah. and that's where I closed the circle. And it's so intriguing because I kept updating the book. Because I'd mentioned Braun Strowman and I'd say, oh, but he was laid off. And then I'd mention Bray Wyatt and he was laid off. And then I'd mention, you know, Johnny Gargano, but he was laid off. 
and now all these people are bad. Hit row. All these people, or most of these people are back. And uh, that's another story for another time. But I couldn't even conceive of what the next wrestling book in this series would be because, you know, who would have imagined that media scrum three months ago? Yeah. You know, who would have imagined that, you know, Bray Wyatt and The Fiend would be back? Or Bray Wyatt and uh, Braun Strowman would be back. So it's just unfolding in ways we couldn't have conceived. And, you know, I'm going to sit back as a fan and see what transpires. And maybe it might be another year before I say, okay, this is the book I think that needs to be written. Do you think that was part of the plan? Lay a few people off and tell them, we'll bring you back when we're ready. No, I don't think so. But I don't know. It, It seems hard to imagine. Because it, it seems re- like a lot of them didn't didn't even entertain AEW's advance. You know, look, a guy like I I, I saw Johnny Gargano backstage at um, you know a Q and A that he did with Kenny McIntosh from Inside the Ropes during SummerSlam weekend, and you know Johnny Gargano's wife was having a baby, so this was a gift to him because now he could spend time with you know his new child and. Um, you know, make, you know, these guys like WWE took care of people financially. I mean, even writing for their magazine for 22 years, you know, they overpay. I'm going to tell you that I made I was sometimes surprised at the amount of money I got to write about wrestling. And um, and I, that's maybe one of the reasons when I, I can't criticize the company, among other things. Mm-hmm. I've also been entertained by them for you know, my entire life. And so have four generations of my family been, Um, you know, but uh, I don't think there was a plan that we're going to lay all these people off and then bring them back. I mean, maybe I'm a fool. Maybe I don't know anything about business. Maybe that was the plan, but uh, it's hard to imagine for me. Um, I mean, another, I I know, it, it would be difficult to write about this subject without kind of criticizing WWE to a point, but the whole business that's gone on now with Vince McMahon leaving the company, the issues internally. Book by the time that happened, but it ties into the speaking out movement, which we spoke about earlier. Yeah. In another era, women might've been, and I'm not saying Vince is innocent. I'm not saying he's guilty. Sure. I know nothing of the circumstances of these charges. I don't even know the precise names. I've heard speculation, but I don't know the names of these people. I don't know anything about them. Um, You know, but in another era, if you were a billionaire CEO, you could do as you pleased and you had the money to make problems go away. And maybe now women have decided that, that, you know, getting paid off that's not all they're out for. You know, maybe maybe they're like sending the message. Don't don't think we're a bunch of gold diggers because we're not. Mm. And, um, you know, that's also traced to speaking out. And before speaking out, it was part of me, too. And without me, too, which is something outside of wrestling, you wouldn't have had speaking out. So when I write a wrestling book, I can't ignore the outside world because the outside world comes into wrestling. Yeah, people are people, you know. Yeah. 
uh, I mean, I, I love the book. I love, I love the, I love the the real world and the wrestling world coming together and actually people having to not not do the usual uh, mental gymnastics that they do to separate the two because right. there's a lot of that that goes on in the international wrestling community. You know, it, it is a lot of mental gymnastics get done to, for people to kind of justify their own ideas about why shit has happened. Um, right. When really, if you just open your eyes and have a look around, you'll see ultimately why some shit has happened and why things play out in the way that they do. Sometimes there are, there are things you see in the ring that you wouldn't know about until you talk to the people involved. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I remember WrestleMania three. And uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, went to body slam Andre the Giant and Andre the Giant fell on top of him. And it looked like Joey Morella slapped that mat three times. And I thought, wow, Joey Morella screwed up. And, and, you know, a couple of months later, I'm sitting in an airport in a rainstorm next to Joey Janela. And I'm like, oh, you must have felt like garbage, you know, when you you accidentally slapped the mat for the third time. And he's like, no, 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 that was deliberate. That was because there were going to be rematches. I didn't think in those terms. There was no internet at the time. So even though I was working for WWE, you know, I wasn't reading all the analysis from every armchair quarterback, as we say in the States. Yeah. Learn, you know, what, what the motives are long after the fact and that's what makes being a fan satisfying sometimes it's always money in a rematch always especially in boxing (laughs) yeah unless it's a rematch between two people you care nothing about true true that yeah (laughs) it's i mean i'm not really sure how how often you sort of check social media and stuff like that i do all the time (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, Twitter is a pretty rough place to be. Mm-hmm. It and is the 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 IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community, as they like to call themselves, like it is the most divisive of places. the The tribal fandom is pretty grim. Uh, have you seen much of that? Does that does that factor into your daily sort of thinking? I mean, I I monitor it. I try to stay at, I've never expressed my opinions about um, this match sucked, this match was great. And, you know, the reason for that is I've never taken a bump. And so I don't know the challenges of stepping through the ropes and what goes on in a match and why something might fall apart or appear to fall apart. I would rather observe and learn. And again, I'm in a position where I can observe and learn because that's part of my job. Um, you know, if I didn't have this job, where which, uh, you know, allows me to speak to both people on the inside and people who are astute observers like yourselves, I don't know, maybe I would be part of that, an active uh, participant in that internet wrestling community because I'd want to have an identity for myself online somewhere. But I don't need that because I've been able to form my own identity in the world of wrestling. And I'm grateful for that. 
uh, funnily enough me and chris have taken bumps that's how we how we initially met we met in wrestling training and um yeah i don't i don't think i'm fit enough to take a bump ever again though i don't know about you chris (laughs) mate at at this point in my life i mean i romanticize getting back in the ring and like taking bumps again but i'd probably shit my pants on one back bump now um so i don't think that's ever gonna happen i mean we, we went to um Cardiff to watch Clash at the Castle and uh, we were with our very good friend Matt, uh, Matty Diamond D and we gave each other a couple of chops and it was like, oh, they never used to hurt that bad. <laughs> it's like I'm a, I'm a bit but I mean, for now. that matter, when I was, you know, 10 years old and I used to wrestle with my friends and, you know, I remember my friend John Diagardi put this kid in a figure for a leg lock. <laughs> you know, if he did that now when we're in our 60s, not only would he have you know, it injured that person, he would have injured himself. So, you know, as your body ages, that stuff gets harder and harder to do, unless you're like Paul Gotcher or Lou says, and even those guys couldn't do it anymore at a certain stage. Um, uh, one thing I did want to ask you as well, as you're a, a TV producer as well, and you've done a lot of TV work and you, you're still in the industry now. Um, Indeed. So... Did you do, I mean, we, we spoke a little bit before, myself and JB before. Did you do a bit of a TV production for WCW at all? I never did any um, wrestling TV production. I, um, I was a freelance writer. I started out as a print writer and I wrote about wrestling very early on. I started out 19 years old as a writer. Uh, so I've been doing this for 44 years now. And uh, because professional wrestling was um, a topic I knew quite a bit about, I was able to write about it. And because I started writing about wrestling, uh, I came to the attention of WWE. I mean, I was interviewing their talent and I was eventually brought on to write for the WWF magazine. And then I spent 22 years there. And in that time, I co-wrote the autobiographies of Ric Flair and Freddie Blassie and superstar Billy Graham. And then, you know, after 22 years, my retainer was taken away. But to this day, WWE throws me work. And so I'm certainly not anti-WWE by any chance, Mm. uh, but by any means. Um, But my my television production started uh, separate. I was on parallel lines. And I've always written about uh, true crime as well. And I eventually, I've written about, just like I've written books about a variety of genres, I have also produced television shows about a number of genres. And, um, you know, true crime is the one I'm probably best known for. And so I never did uh, pro wrestling production. I just... You know, like right now, I mainly uh, produce programs involving true crime for television in the U.S. And then I uh, I write for a number of people on the side. But uh, wrestling is the one that draws the most attention to me. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the um, professional wrestling documentaries. So, I mean, the the uh, Beyond the Mat was, is a classic. Wrestling with Shadows. Um, yeah. But also one of my favorite documentaries, just in general of, of documentaries, it just so happens to have wrestling involved in it, is um, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, The Side Effects of Being American. Remember. 
great yeah. documentary absolute great work from chris bell um so I, I mean i can see you doing something like that have you ever thought about doing some kind uh, of like yes but um you know my full-time gig takes up a lot of my time sure and um you know when i'm writing you know i mean i have to get to locations to interview people uh but i it's it's different when i'm doing tv because you are producing in the field it means you have to be present in the field and i can't be interviewing someone or supervising a tv crew and then run off and do a podcast you know i'm working on a script today for my full-time job and i'm able to you know take an hour away and and you know do a podcast so i just don't think at this phase of my career I could divide my time like that. Did you have to spend much time with Ric Flair for his book? I did. <laughs> Was it fun? Uh, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine the stories he was, you know, relaying must have been. I mean, you there. know, stories are in the book. There's some stories that didn't make it to the book. Um, you know, but a lot of them are in the book. And, uh, you know, he also is a, a an emotional fellow. And uh, it was painful sometimes to see what he put himself through. I mean, he's he doesn't make it a secret that he can be his own worst critic and his own worst enemy. And, you know, to see him up close wasn't always, you know, it wasn't always the best experience. I mean, the guy's very was very hard on himself. And maybe if he wasn't, he wouldn't have been, you know, had the status that he uh, enjoys today. Did, did you did you watch his last match? The the the, the I uh, was there. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I wrote about it for Inside the Ropes magazine. So, you know, this isn't a, a secret. Um, it being in the building. I was actually quite excited. And look, I knew he wasn't 32 year old Ric Flair. I knew this was a compromised Ric Flair. I mean, look, the guy was in a coma and was given, if the story's true, a 5% chance of survival. But I thought he handled himself adequately. And I thought he was very fortunate to be with people like Jeff Jarrett and Andrade and Jay Lethal. And they were able to carry the match in a very successful way. And, you know, the match ended and the crowd was happy and confetti came down and I was pretty exuberant. And then I went on Twitter and I started to read the comments from people who were watching this match at home and how mortified they were and how they were characterizing this as elder abuse. And one guy who, wrote, who I respect wrote, this didn't only embarrass me as a wrestling fan, it embarrassed me as a human being. And I, I wrote about this, at, you know, for Inside the Ropes. And I realized, wow, there was really a dichotomy between those who watch the match live and those who watched it at home. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad I was there live because I, you know, I had another perspective on an event that people will be talking about for a long, long time, uh, long after Ric Flair is here anymore. Do you think you'll do another one? N another what? Uh, another match, Flair, yeah. Another one? Uh, you'll have to ask Ric Flair that question. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think he probably wants to, knowing Ric Flair. 
I'm sure he made a few quid off of that one, and I'm sure. I, he would, I, I, I hope he did. Yeah, and and to be honest, after after seeing the match, I watched it on, on TV, and after watching it on TV, I do hope he he made a few quid because it it you know like you saying it, you might have got a different idea being there, but it, I mean, did you watch it on TV afterwards, or have you not? Um, I watched some of it actually the next day. I got together, you know, Kenny McIntosh from Inside the Ropes. I think we got in, we were in his room and we watched some of this together. Right. And, you know, I think we were saying, oh, I see why some people said this at this point. But then I imagine like, you know, I'm in the wrestling world and in the wrestling world, certain things are completely acceptable, like a death match. <laughs> You know, yeah. you, you know, you you bash someone over the head with with, um, you know, light tubes and you slam someone on some text and it's like another night out, you know. And, you know, I imagine what is it would be like, like, let's say I have a first date with somebody and it's like, oh, I really think you're an interesting guy. It's like, want to go back to my place and watch Ric Flair's final match? And they imagine this woman sitting there and she's like, this is the stuff you like, you animal, you savage. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably bring her back to watch the cinematic match of Gold Dust versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, they would, and she would probably enjoy that if she was, you know, partially <laughs> <laughs> if like connected with you on some dating site, you probably have that much in common. Uh, I, I do try and get my missus uh, to to watch wrestling and and, and occasional stuff. Um, and I, I mean, she's a dusty dusty Rhodes fan. She likes his promos. Um, mm -hmm. Well, he, like he, he's so. a great man. Yeah, it's fine. Like my kids are older now, so. Um, you know, when they were little, you know, I could easily get them to watch wrestling. Um, you know, now they're older, so I can't always get them to watch wrestling. My oldest uh, child, Dylan Mars Greenberg, is a filmmaker of some repute in New York City. Dylan's 25 now and certainly uh, understands the allure of, uh, of professional wrestling and why it, it hits the nerve that it does. And Dylan's been associated for years with Troma, which is a company that makes horror comedies. So, um, you know, the, the, the parallel is certainly apparent. And I'd like to feel I was an influence at least that much in exposing Dylan to wrestling at a young age. You did good. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I mean, re wrestling is a, a very weird and wacky world within itself. And, you know, like you're saying, certain things that are acceptable in wrestling, people that aren't wrestling fans would look at and go, what the fuck is this? Like, what? Right. You know? Like, I remember, you know, I brought a girlfriend to a GCW show. We watched the death match. And, you know, she said, why is there a door in there? Like, why was there a door in the and that's a perfectly reasonable question. Like, you know, you're supposed to be having a wrestling match. Like everyone's seen wrestling in the Olympics. You know, no one's ever brought a door into, you know, onto the mat. 
<laughs> I mean, it is a perfectly sane question to ask. Yes. <laughs> but I would like to ask, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, we're not really, we never really discuss how much time you had. Like, so well, should we? I, like, I would like to wind it down since I have a job. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's something like, I, was, I can see we're getting close to an hour and I'm like, yeah. I don't think this ever came up in any of the emails. No, I mean, we, we had Eric Watts on for like three hours plus and Chris Hamrick on for like oh, man, three yeah. hours plus. They were fucking brutal, man. You know, so we won't keep you for, for three, three and a half hours. Though, well, I mean, was Eric Watts in- enjoyable? Oh, he was, was great. Good. Yeah, he's he, hilarious. You know, I I, I'd listen to Eric Watts for three hours. Chris Hamrick, Chris Hamrick was just fantastic as well. Like, yeah. He's he's just batshit crazy, but we love him. He's just you know fantastic. Yeah, and uh, and Max Payne, Max Payne was wild one as well. Yeah, was, Max uh, Payne. He was, was on for a good couple of two and a half hours as well with us. Yeah. If you need to help anyone with a documentary, I think Max might need need a call. Yeah, well, I don't know if uh, again all this stuff takes time. Yeah. So, you know, we should we should wind it down. You've got you've got a you've got a day job to do. Um, Let's just let's just talk about the book for a second. Like you know, follow the buzzards. Pro wrestling in the age of COVID nineteen in the UK, it will be available in November. Is that right? Is, I think it's the second I, well, or the fourth in November. You can yeah. order it now, and you can also uh, get the Kindle version right now. And you also said that in you know all decent local bookshops, you can find it. So yep. all local bookshops, and you know what? I would even say this. If you know a good community bookstore, go down there and order it there. Give them the business. Let them let them you know make make a few uh, pence off of you. Uh, but you know because you know I believe in supporting the local bookshop. Hey, that's so good to hear. Yeah, support your local Don't go businesses. to fucking Waterstones, people. Yeah, don't go Waterstones. Go to your local bookshop. Go in there. And, and, and support you. I mean, we're all for that, man. I mean, and, yeah. and in wrestling as well, support your local indie promotion. Yeah, you, you, we need the indies. The, it's in my last book about the indie wrestling revolution. The, there's a saying, the indies matter. And the indies do matter. Without the indies, we wouldn't have the people on top that we have now. That's right, man. That's Everybody's got to yes. start somewhere. That's right. So... Keith Elliott Greenberg, we are so thankful that you've given us this time today. We, you know, we're really thrilled that you decided to jump on with us. Hopefully, when there's some more time, or if you're back in the UK, we'll gladly hit up the pub and we will knock back one or two. Enjoy the crack, if you will. Yeah, and I would imagine more than one or two to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) No, the book is fantastic. I must say, it's fantastic. I'm not all the way through it um, quite yet. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eating my way through on the daily commute on the train and, uh, it's fantastic. You're a fantastic writer. You've got, you know, you. It, it, what you've done with it is absolutely fantastic. And anyone who's a wrestling fan, um, or even if you're not a wrestling fan, just to have a little peek into an industry to see how they dealt with it through COVID. Like, you know, the restaurants had to deal with certain shit. Um, you know, warehouses had to deal with it and wrestling is an industry in itself. And, uh, Keith has, is fantastically uh, written out how uh, wrestling dealt with COVID-19 and it's a, a great book. Thank you so much. No worries, man. Thank you again for joining us, Keith. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Keith, it's take been- care, mate. Thank you. As I'm sure you guys can tell. <laughs> Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye.
stupid. Let me get back to work. Thank you. <laughs> there you wow. have it, man. There we go. So cool. Keith Elliott Greenberg. And yeah, we can't we can't thank you enough for giving us the time today. It's uh it's a Monday afternoon in, in Brooklyn, New York. So you know, he's yeah. probably still working, yeah. Yeah, he's probably just, probably just taking a lunch break just so he could do, you know what I mean? He's pulled himself away from his computer. And like I say, the guy is a legitimate, you know, a, a legitimate badass. He has been producing television programs for, for years. He's been, you know, writing books about true crime, about wrestling, about fucking, uh, about um, 80s bands. He's, been, he, you know, he, he's a plethora of subjects that he has been uh, writing about and creating content about. And we have just had him on the show talking about his latest book, Follow the Buzzards, uh, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19. Fantastic book. Um, a, a different read to your usual uh, wrestling book. Yeah, very different compared to your usual, you know, pro wrestling, not fluff, because that's a, that's not a nice way to put sure, it. Sure, sure. Shout you out know, to uh, ECW Press as well, our friends yes, at ECW thank Press. thank you to ECW Press for helping us with this opportunity. And, yeah. you know, long may our small allegiance with ECW Press continue. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our loving relationship with ECW <laughs> Press that we have going. Uh, they're great guys. So, so yeah. yeah. Sorry, bro. Crack Sorry. On um, some. Yeah. So we, you know, if you made it to the end, thank you. And for those that are still listening slash watching, let's talk about the ones that are watching first, because you know what to do. We've mentioned it once or twice. Something needs to slap, and I'm not talking about me or Chris. That's right. you got to slap the little bell. Um, subscribe. You don't have to turn on notifications. Just fucking slap the bell and subscribe, because you, I mean, you should keep notifications on because then you'll get notifications of fantastic interviews like this with Keith Elliott Greenberg. Like we said before, we've uh, interviewed people like Brian R. Solomon, you know, Max Payne, uh, Eric Watts, you know, um, the, the list is endless. Santino, you know, that's right. <laughs> all of those. Barty, if you want a bit of controversy, you know, okay, we don't discriminate, you know, wrestling personality, wrestling fan, whatever. Like if, They've got something to say. They can share it here, whether or not it's to people's taste or not. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the stuff that Keith just said was to a lot of people's tastes. So, you know, if you haven't subscribed already, please do, you know, and chuck us a little comment, a little like or whatever, if you want to do that as well. And for those that are listening, and Ireland, we are talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> we have to keep thanking you, Island, because you're the one that keeps pushing us up the charts. Why? Just keep on keeping on, mate. You are they are they are pushing us up the charts. We fucking love it. Um, oh yeah. You know, it, it's just fantastic to get that kind of feedback. I mean, it's um always nice to know that people are enjoying what you're doing. Um, because we enjoy what we do anyway. Um, is any other bits? Of oh, it? let's I mean, let's be honest. We fucking love this. Oh, we love it, dude. It, it, you know, yeah. we just love getting on doing these bits. There's a, there's a couple of uh, it's obviously I'm your pappy t-shirt wearing right now because today it is uh, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero's, Guerrero's birthday. birthday. Yeah. Um, it is also Tony Khan's. That's right. It is also Tony Khan's birthday today. 
So I'm sure he'll be racking up a couple of fatties. Uh, <laughs> Fulham fans have already, you know, wished well wished that man. They've already wished him a happy birthday. Um, in their own way. In their own way, uh, as only Londoners can. Um, you know, we, we love it. We're going to keep doing it. Again, we've had another fantastic guest there, Keith Elliott Greenberg, um, New York Times bestselling author, TV producer, um, you know, fantastic guy to have on and, and, and a very knowledgeable uh, wrestling personality right there. And um, we're going to keep them coming, baby. Yeah, and that's yeah exactly what Chris said. We are so thrilled that anyone has stuck around to carry on listening to this. For now, we will say goodbye. You know, the best Chris in all the wrestling podcasts, as you might have just been watching. Yeah. And me, little old JB. So the main man JB. It's always the main man JB, bro. The moniker so, must be said. <laughs> so thank you for sticking around. We love you too. Take care, guys. We will see you soon. Peace.